The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Thursday, March 12th, 2020. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Last night, in an address from the Oval Office, President Trump said this. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. These restrictions will be adjusted subject to conditions on the ground. There will be exemptions for Americans who have undergone appropriate screenings. That was not true. There were not exceptions for Americans. This is the rule for Americans. There is to be a travel ban from Europe, but that ban is not to include the UK and Ireland. Trump does own golf properties in the UK and Ireland, but that may have zero effect on why he made the decision. It is a fair thing to wonder, however, because Trump never truly divested from his business interests. After the statement about suspension of travel, Trump said these words. And these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things as we get approval. Again, this will not only apply to cargo and trade. That is what he said. That was incorrect. It was an example, it seems, of Trump misreading his teleprompter, not understanding what he meant to say or what he was to say because someone else wrote the script and therefore saying the exact opposite of what he intended or his scriptwriters intended for him to say. This statement rattled the markets, by the way, and needed to be cleaned up and clarified in a tweet by Ken Cuccinelli, the acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security. Yes, the acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security had to come in, clean up, clarify, and lend credence to the words of the President of the United States. Special side note, two weeks ago, a federal judge ruled Ken Cuccinelli was in his position unlawfully when he was appointed to lead the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. But never fear, Cuccinelli is squared away with his current title, which is, as I've said, acting deputy secretary, a position that in this administration we need to check with before we can run with the actual utterances of the president of the United States. The president also said this. Frankly, the testing has been going very smooth. If you go to the right agency, if you go to the right area, you get the test. This was not true. Insurers have vowed to cover the costs of tests, but not all have said they'll waive copays for the office visits where patients would receive the tests, nor have they said that treatment costs would be waived. Today, another White House official attempted to clean that up, saying copays will only be eliminated for tests, not treatment. So this means individuals will have to make the personal choice, should I treat coronavirus and therefore pay for my treatment, or should I not treat coronavirus and therefore make society pay? This is a glory of the personal choice at play in our current system of healthcare. Today, in an Oval Office meeting with the Prime Minister of Ireland, Trump said this. Earlier this week, I met with the leaders of health insurance industry who have agreed to waive all co-payments for coronavirus treatments, extend insurance coverage to these treatments, and to prevent surprise medical billing. This was not true, and it is the most consistent exaggeration, or let's be blunt, lie, that Trump routinely commits. 
He makes several references to the ready availability of tests, which simply aren't readily available. They're not enough tests to meet demand. Unlike the president, I will not speculate as to why he keeps saying this. I do not know if he thinks it's true or if he prefers to believe fiction works out better for him than reality. So he thinks that fiction is reality. Maybe he's filtered out contrary information. Maybe he believes that stating a falsehood has so consistently worked for him in the past, there's no reason to ever state the truth. Maybe there's no ability to state the truth. It really doesn't matter. What matters is it's not true and it's badly eroding his ability to communicate necessary facts. It's getting in the way of all government credibility. And this redounds even to leaders on the state and local level who, for the most part, have been nothing but accurate. But when they contradict the president on issues like the availability of testing, they're routinely assailed as exaggerating or trying to score political points by making the president look bad. So in this, the top of today's show, I only want to concentrate on the things that the president has said that are inaccurate, just the inaccurate. Later on in the show, I will discuss the things that the president said that are unhelpful, and then we will analyze a little bit the consequences of having a leader without the minimal tools needed to communicate in a time like this. That is the spiel. But first, a 50-year-old lawyer from Manhattan who lives and attends synagogue in New Rochelle was one of the first known cases of COVID-19 in the East, largely because of contact between this lawyer and his family and worshipers at his synagogue, which was Young Israel of New Rochelle. There have been 121 positive cases in Westchester. New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo established a one-mile containment zone around that synagogue. Up next, we break containment and bring you inside the containment zone. As much as I would like to hype what you're about to hear, I have to tell you, it's an extremely pleasant conversation with an old friend of mine. But as to the question, what's life like inside the containment zone? The answer is mostly uneventful. Repeat, uneventful. But still, kind of weird. That's why I talked to my old pal, Dave Lichman, containment zone denizen and survivor. What a hero. Up next. So of all the outbreaks in the United States, the most concentrated is in New Rochelle, New York, a bedroom community just north of the city. You might know it as the place where Rob Petrie tripped over his sofa in the Dick Van Dyke show. Really an Ottoman, and you might not remember that unless you're, oh, I'd say 50 and over, or me, or one of my best friends from growing up, Dave Lichman, who is literally on the dotted line inside the containment zone. Hello, Dave. Hey, Mike. How are you? So I'm good. But how are you? It, it, it's, it's an interesting time. I mean, I guess by, by baseball and uh-huh. tennis rules, I'm yeah. inside the containment. Right, right. Foul, foul line. If the chalk flies up, it's in. Yes, but by football or basketball rules, I am out of the zone. Right. They never said if the dotted line was an inbounds or an out of bounds. They did not. And is it, doesn't it, do you think it has to do with like the thickness of whatever program they use to draw the dots? I think that's exactly what it was, because if you zoom in, you get no, you get no further clarification. <laughs> it just gets muddier. The pixels get uh, a little more dispersed. If, if I had to guess, I would say my front door, out of the containment zone, yeah. my backyard, in the containment zone. So how does life in the uh, front door, back door differ? Or in reality, do you, I mean, do you self-define as in the containment zone? It, it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. And that's the interesting thing is the, the governor... Uh, I think in a communications gaffe, really made 
it sound more like a quarantine zone. Mm-hmm. But in truth, there's really no restrictions whatsoever other than on public gathering spaces. So churches, synagogues, schools are closed. All of the businesses are open. There's oh. no restricted movement inside or out. And he also brought up the specter of the National Guard, which makes people think of tanks strolling up and down the main drag North Avenue. But really, they're just here to help clean the schools and to help hand out food to people who are either quarantined or people um, in the schools who depend on school lunch and, and need to depend on the schools for food. Right. And the people who are quarantined aren't everyone inside the mile zone. It's just specific people who tested, who had contact with this one New Rochelle lawyer who was, you know, you hate to blame the guy, but essentially patient zero of this outbreak for New Rochelle. Right. And you know, the irony to me is that it spread so quickly because the Orthodox community in New Rochelle is very tight-knit. Yeah. But that's also the reason why I don't, it doesn't seem like it's likely to spread much beyond that, because the, the kids that go to the Young Israel don't go to the public schools, and um, it was contained very quickly after people were exposed at a couple of social events. Okay, so you probably have neighbors on one side who are clearly in the zone, and you probably have neighbors on the other side who aren't. I'm trying to remember the geography of your house and where the zone is. But, um, so you're saying there's no difference from your neighbors in, your neighbors out, or really you? Uh, no, n- nothing at all. There's no, you know, there's no guardsmen patrolling the streets. Are there some schools in the New Rochelle district who are, that are open and some are closed? How was that decided? Yeah, all, all the schools that are beyond the one-mile radius from the synagogue are open for normal business. So uh, of about 11 or so schools, one high school, one middle school, and one elementary school were closed. Uh, the, the rest are open. Oh, at the high school and the middle school. I remember this. I went to the New Rochelle Model Congress a few times. They're attached, right? And isn't there a planetarium nearby? Uh, the high school is just massively large, so <laughs> you could easily confuse it for being two schools. Oh, okay. And there is indeed a planetarium. <laughs> is the planetarium closed? The planetarium is unfortunately closed. Uh, the schedule does not seem to be any great celestial events that we'll be missing, so it should be all right. <laughs> How's distance learning going for your kids? Um it's actually very interesting. I have a daughter that's a second semester senior uh-huh. who's doing very little distance learning. Uh, and I have twins that are freshmen that are getting assignments to varying degrees of, of difficulty and length, uh, and they're completing them to varying degrees of difficulty and length. Uh, <laughs> I, my son swears that some of the assignments were made on the Xbox. I'm <laughs> doubting that that's true, but for now, we'll go with it. Is he saying that that new uh, cheer season, that's been assigned from the school? Is that his claim? Absolutely. Uh, have you talked to neighbors uh, physically or otherwise? What, uh, is there more anxiety there than there is, I don't know, where I am here in Brooklyn? Uh, well, well, truthfully, I have not had a single conversation with a neighbor, which would be concerning if I had ever had conversations <laughs> with my neighbors before there was a containment zone. But no. Right, every, the, whole, the whole deal about, oh, social isolation, what will the cost be? Have you been to America in 2020? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. The, the, the governor did such a bad job of communicating what was going on that you know, I drove by the high school this morning, and there are National Guardsmen with tables of food supplies supplied by a local charity. Uh-huh. And people are terrified to even drive by the school to pick them up, so they're just sitting untaken on tables outside of the high school. Yeah, you would think maybe the charity should donate anywhere but the high school, like donate it outside the containment zone. And you could, you could drive around quite freely. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. So you think, you think Cuomo, you know, watching him from afar, he seemed at least comprehensible. I knew what he was trying to say, unlike some other leaders. But you're saying the content of what he said did not always match the reality. And people in, well, don't speak for others unless you want to, but people in New Rochelle are a little miffed at the guy? 
well, I think people were just confused and, and a little scared. I mean, I was in, at work in the city when they came across the tape that I was living in a quarantine, uh, where essentially was a restricted zone, uh, with really no great explanation of what that meant at the time. And again, the images of the National Guardsmen being called to New Rochelle makes everyone immediately think of the worst case scenario. Uh, fortunately, we have a wonderful communicator as a mayor who very quickly uh, calmed everyone's fears and explained in detail what it meant and what, it, more importantly, what it didn't mean. Yeah. Um, so I think the people who are sort of on the Twitterverse and active in social media and actually read the emails that the, the mayor sends um, understand that it's pretty much business as usual. Huh. And do you know if the mayor, I suppose the mayor has been in touch with the governor? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I think when the governor on Monday said that New Rochelle schools were closed when in fact they had not been closed, I think that perked up the ears in City Hall and they all got together and, and figured everything out. Unbelievable. Now, uh, I'm, I read a BuzzFeed story, and there's something about this. I'll let you comment, but it seems a little overwrought. Mark McLean, president of the New Rochelle branch of the NAACP, says it's politics. This is all Governor Cuomo wanting to exert his dominance over the issue. And we're all caught in the middle of it. It's not about effectiveness. It's about pa- planting the flag. But where are the homeowners who will have difficulty selling our houses because Cuomo wanted the first containment zone? <laughs> How much of that do you agree with? Um, well, I would say... The thought of what my house value is now it certainly crossed my mind. Really? Okay. Uh, I would assume I will not be selling the house. By the, time, by the time I would need to sell this house anyway, if we're still concerned about the coronavirus, as I like to say, we have much bigger issues to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, am I going to do a, t- a property tax assessment challenge in June saying that my house is lower value and maybe lower my tax bill? Maybe, but I, I don't think I don't think that's uh, that was or should have been forefront in the minds of the, the mayor and the governor when when they when they rolled this out. And this quote goes on. I stopped it there. But tell me about speak for your kids. We're the ones whose kids are going to be traumatized with the stigma of being from New Rochelle. I mean, maybe maybe from those jerks from Pelham, but from do, do your kids feel stigmatized? In truth, I don't think we're that far away from the number of cases in New Rochelle not standing out versus the number of cases in surrounding communities and across the country. So I don't expect um, we'll get a New Rochelle virus stigma at all. Yeah, so you're saying that when this plays out, we might look at New Rochelle as one of the first places or we might forget that. And you're also predicting that there might be a number of cases in lots of communities where there were, you know, 19 people who had coronavirus, let's say. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the number of cases here is going to grow, particularly beyond the average where it's growing elsewhere. And uh, we're seeing in the news every every hour updates of, of cases breaking out everywhere. I mean, if, if Tom Hanks can get coronavirus in the middle of the summer in Australia, what, what hope do New Rochelleans and Pelamites have? Yeah. Have you had to navigate what's the good local news to check in with? versus what's the news that's so big that it's not local enough, and then what's the news that's so local that it might be, or not so local, but kind of so p- driven by a p- person's uninformed take that it's not worth, uh, that it's not worth taking in. Um, so to ask the question more concisely, has your, how has this uh, affected your news-gathering habits, and what have you learned? Well, I don't think the news gathering habits have changed much at all. There really isn't much in the way of local news here anymore. Yeah. Um, there's the the uh, 
Hudson Valley newspapers, but we're pretty much relying on the same thing everyone else does, Twitter and the, uh, the network news and the, the local, local news stations. But do you, have you developed some good people to follow on Twitter that you didn't think of beforehand? Or I don't know if you go on Facebook anymore. No, I, I canceled my Facebook account. Yeah. Um, no, there's, there's really no, uh, there's no New Rochelle Twitter stars or Twitter beat writers or people who would have any particular insight. And so you're really reliant on the mayor, though. It seems like he's doing a really good job. And that is, and because he's credible, um, the people in the community can figure out what's really going on. Yeah, he's, his communication has been proactive and, more importantly, crystal clear, whereas the communication from the state government and, obviously, the federal government has been anything but. Mm-hmm. And how does he get it to you? via? Um, does he, do you follow him on Twitter, or, does he, or are you on email lists? The city communicates via email, via Twitter, via robot calls. Mm-hmm. Um, when all your phones in the house start ringing at the same time, everyone's cell phone, you know the, the mayor has an update for us. Yeah. And when your mom and dad or Jen's mom and dad call, and I'm bet knowing them, they're super concerned, what's, what do you say to reassure them? Uh, I mean, the only way to reassure you know, senior citizens, I guess, at this point is to, to tell them that fake news or tell them that it's not really a quarantine zone. <laughs> you mean just lie to them? Well, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's not a great answer, but they, they don't need the gory details. Uh, and it's not a quarantine zone. It's a containment zone, which is, will be a new euphemism for uh, quarantine zones that you're not actually quarantined. Yeah. yeah. Dave Lichman, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him in a containment zone with very weirdly and lightly drawn boundaries. Dave, uh, good luck to you. Keep the flame alive, though not literally. Thank you very much, Mike. And now the spiel. At the top of the show, I played a few inaccurate or deceptive statements President Trump has made about the COVID-19 outbreak. CNN lists 28 inaccuracies. Beyond the flat-out lies, there are the sorts of statements that are strange or petty or weird and all ultimately unhelpful. They reflect the president's preoccupations and demonstrate that no matter the circumstances or the stakes, the president cannot rise above his smallness. The main sin is the constant insistence that America has an effective and robust testing regime when in fact it does not. There are so many aspects of the Trump presidency marked by Trump expressing some sort of wish fulfillment and then his willing partners in right-wing media amplify it so as to almost make it true, almost breathe it into reality or reality enough for the 40% or so of Americans who are unwaveringly behind President Trump or who would rather own the libs than save themselves. For instance, President Trump said this in the Oval Office today. Sure, but we have them very heavily tested. If an American's coming back or anybody's coming back, we're testing. We have a tremendous testing setup where people coming in have to be tested. And if they are positive and if they're able to get through, because if they're frankly, if they're if they're not, we're not putting them on planes if they're if it shows positive. But if they are, if they do come here, they have to we're quarantine. It's going to be a pretty strong enforcement of quarantine. There is no routine testing for travelers overseas. There aren't even enough kits. There is a screening. A screening is a light de minimis vetting. It is quite different, in fact, basically the opposite of tremendous testing. Trump has difficulty with words and doesn't have that many adjectives to draw from. Plus, he hyperbolizes everything, 
which doesn't work in a situation where honesty and transparency are called for. Again, he's engaged in wishful thinking. He can't stop himself from wishful thinking. He's always framing it not as wishful thinking or wishing for some good thing that could happen, but reporting a great thing that will definitely happen. Twice in the press conference, Trump asserted this is all going away. You know, we need a little separation until such time as this goes away. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. I was watching Scott. I was watching Scott this morning. And he was saying within two months. But, you know, in the meantime, uh, we want to lose as few people as possible. So important. It really does almost go without saying. But he kept saying it. It goes away. It's going away. We want it to go away with very, very few deaths. Uh, people have, uh, you know, we call it cases. How many cases do you have? Well, relative to other countries, we have very few cases. Relative to certain of the, of the major countries that really have a bigger problem than uh, us. We've offered by the, ra- just interestingly, I think we have the greatest doctors in the world. We've offered Iran assistance. Iran is having a tremendous problem. And uh, we have offered Iran assistance. That's the blitheness. Here's the pettiness. When asked why he didn't get together with allies to discuss a key measure banning travel from continental Europe, he shifted to blame. This policy, and remember, international travel is a beneficial aspect of an interconnected world, but Trump reacted as if he was asked to surrender some tactical advantage. And when they raise taxes on us, they don't consult us, and I think that's probably uh, one and the same. They've... uh done things. Uh, the European Union, as you know, has done uh, some very big tax raises over the years. Not so much with me because I won't put up with it, uh, but uh, they haven't uh, consulted us. And uh, in the case of uh, European Union, I've consulted with many people. They don't tell us when they have taxes and tariffs. But this isn't a tax. This isn't a tariff. This isn't a negotiation or a business deal where you win or beat the other guy. There is no winning. There is just prudence and communication. And you'd hope cooperation, but not in this case. When handed the opportunity to act even a little bit gracious or unifying, talking about mass gatherings like political rallies, Trump said this about rallies to be held by Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. Well, I think uh, the Democrats uh, won't be having rallies, but nobody showed up to their rallies anyway. So what difference does it make? The president is incapable of being a president as the job actually exists. He tried to redefine the job as some sort of trickster in chief or the American with the most attention paid to him, a guy who uses the office to scold, berate, amuse and vent. But when the demands of the job aren't even some sort of exceptional foresight or some sort of perfect decision-making, just routine professionalism and a modicum of communication skills, Trump is utterly unable to exhibit the requisite skills. I think Mike Pence could exhibit those skills. I'm pretty sure Jeb Bush or Chris Christie could exhibit those skills. They did when leading their states through crises. No one around the president is remotely as incompetent as the president but also no one around the president has the standing and status to tell the president he needs to do better or to help him do better or to write better scripts or to put it on teleprompters with fonts that are big enough so that he could see. In all his statements today and yesterday, he did say one thing which was unwittingly insightful. I mean, think of it, the United States, because of what I did and what the administration did with China, we have 32 deaths at this point. Because of what he did, 
we've had 32 deaths. And when those deaths rise, perhaps we can all remember it was because of what he did, but mostly because of what he didn't do. Actually, but to be totally fair, it just might be a progression of deaths that would have happened no matter who the leader was. Perhaps no one could have staved off whatever this pandemic will bring. Perhaps no one could push down what will be the numbers. I just think that of every person in public life, no matter his or her actual effect on the reality of the pandemic, you couldn't come up with a person who does a worse job communicating effectively to a public who desperately wants a president who can be president. And that's it for today's show. Priscilla Alabi is the associate producer of The Gist. She's advising against gatherings of more than 250 or 125 if the two venues share a connecting coat check. Daniel Schrader produces The Gist. He warns you if you make a purchase from a container store inside the containment zone, just allow adequate time to air out your purchase. Burp, burp it, let it breathe. The Gist. My favorite acting secretaries in order. Lonnie Anderson. Elise Beasley, and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Though, in these virus-filled times, I would ask Maggie to wipe down the envelope with some Clorox before mailing it. Oomperu deperu duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>